0: welcome to this grit and grace life you've got questions we've got answers from the boardroom to the bedroom car lines to college single married or single again we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace
1: life welcome to this grit and grace life i'm darlene brock hello friends i'm julie bender How's your day,
0: Julie? Oh, you know, bottles and burping and diapers.
1: <laughs> oh my, great. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. asking. That's nonstop it for is. a certain season of life, so one day it will end. I know,
0: and that's and I'm, I'm not even saying I want it to. I'm just saying it's a little anticlimactic right now. <laughs>
1: it is. <laughs> Don't get lost in it. Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit about Of all things, forgiveness and something that we all need and something that we should give, but sometimes it's incredibly hard. Before we get to that, uh, let's go back to the internet, shall we?
0: (laughs) I mean, that's a lovely place to go at the beginning of every episode. You know, we were thinking about grudges and forgiveness. So we found that one of the longest grudges ever held was a 79-year-old man named Dewey from Indiana who bought a lemon car in 1986. Bummer. Um, He was mad at the dealership for selling it to him and finally took his revenge 36 years later. Yikes. In July 2022, he went back to the dealership and set four cars on fire. I want to know so much more about this story. <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> did he go to jail? <laughs> I don't know. But I'm like, Dewey, Huey and Louie. I mean, seriously, mm. that the name just got me at the first part of it.
0: And what kind of car was it? Like, I
1: don't know. A lemon car, a bad car. But h- how can you hold on for that many years? Unless you know? it was
0: like his dream car or something. I don't know. There's I a lot know. more I'd like to know about that. But let's I... not hold a grudge and continue to move on.
1: Okay. Because holding a grudge is bad for your health. Mm. One study found that adults who held onto anger and hostility over the course of a decade experienced greater cognitive dis- decline than those who were more apt to forgive.
0: Okay, so that's what happened to Dewey. I mean, he had <laughs> nearly four decades.
1: Yeah, exactly. I could
0: see that, that it almost like sits in your bones and causes issues, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally. Apparently <laughs> so. In another study, participants who thought of a conflict in which they didn't forgive someone performed more poorly on a physical fitness test than those who forgave someone.
1: So forgiveness, not just exercise, right? (laughs) I mean, apparently they're both important. Apparently so. All right. Forgiveness, on the other hand, can lower the risk of heart attack, improve cholesterol levels and sleep. Reduce pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and Mm -hmm. stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness, health, connection as you age. Interesting. Oh.
0: And lastly, 62% of American adults say they need more forgiveness
1: in their personal lives, according to a survey by the nonprofit Fetzer Institute. Doesn't surprise me because I know I feel that way that I personally need more forgiveness because I, I deserve to be forgiven. No, I don't deserve to be (laughs) forgiven. I have done something that requires forgiveness. Mm -hmm.
0: I I feel like this is timely for me even talking about this because the last couple days I've been processing some unforgiveness in my own life. So I'm looking forward to really unpacking this and learning how this is going to affect me if I can't figure this out. I mean, because the truth is, is there's going to be times in all of our lives when we either need to offer or ask for forgiveness and sometimes are harder than others.
1: It's true. And whether it's an ex or a family member or, you know, a friend or you've been betrayed in some way, you know, it can be small, it can be huge, Mm -hmm. but it's still whatever the circumstance is, forgiveness still obviously affects you as much as it affects anyone else. Mm -hmm. That is definitely the case with today's guest, Tracy Brandt. She was able to forgive what we would all probably consider unthinkable. Tracy Brandt and her husband Rod are the collegiate directors of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Western Carolina University in North Carolina. She is the mother of one child, Boaz, and mentor to college athletes current and past. Welcome to this grit and grace life. Tracy, it's good to have you. Thank you.
2: I'm so thankful to have this opportunity.
0: I know even when we're fighting internet issues because you're living in the glory of the North Carolina mountains, we are so thankful that we get to have this conversation with you today. Um, Before we go all the way into your story, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what a day in the life of Tracy is like?
2: Wow, every day is different, but um, I will share that my husband and I met through Fellowship of Christian Athletes, FCA, and married in 1999. Mm -hmm. We, uh, I was a high school math teacher for 14 years, and then God called me out of teaching to ministry, and we've been doing that together for nine years, so mm-hmm. since 2013, God surprised us after 17 years of marriage with a son, and his name is Boaz. He mm-hmm. is now five, That's so awesome. a day in the life looks like <laughs> juggling full-time work and mom, which kindergarten has been such a blessing. He. So as is now in school, um, full day, so that is very helpful. And we live three minutes from the college that we do ministry at. We want to be very available to the students, plus we are there a lot supporting um, primarily the athletes and going to every athletic competition you can think of.
1: Well, Tracy, I know you guys are big cheerleaders and supporters of these athletes that you work with. And, you know, I I know from knowing you for a while, you and I have been friends for a while. I know that you're also caretakers and love them well when they're in difficult places at the university that they find themselves.
2: Right. College is is such a crucial time in their lives. and. We were there once, and we want to be there for them and be a kind of a second mom and dad a, a, and be a home away from home when they're in college.
0: Well, Tracy, we definitely want to hear more about what would be a hard season in your life. And, you know, forgive the the bad transition here, but we are anxious to hear your story and learn as much as possible from it.
1: Well, and I know you and I have had personal conversations about the day that you received the call that your parents you had lost them to murder suicide and that your their relationship had gotten to a place that nobody would have expected but before we have a conversation about that particular day what was it like tracy growing up in your family were were things different for you what was it like for you as a child
2: it was very uh, i guess the best word to describe it is tumultuous mm-hmm. But I didn't know that. I didn't see uh, in my family or friends anything anything very different. I didn't see any other loving homes, so I didn't really know that I grew up in a dysfunctional home. We went to church, and so and I, I I just thought I lived a a normal life. Um, Didn't really. I never really talked about it with anyone, and so I didn't know that it was abnormal. So what? Brought all that on. My dad was married before my before he met my mom, and they had a daughter named Angie. And his first wife uh, cheated on him, had an affair, and so they divorced. And he spent the rest of his life trying to make up make that up to Angie. He felt bad that he couldn't hold the family together. And he felt responsible, and so his, he felt like his goal in life was to try to try to make that up. Mm. So he met my mom under some uh, unique circumstances, uh, more jealousy than anything. He proposed. They got married, and my dad wanted Angie's life to be so great that when my mom tried to be a mom to Angie and tell her things like to make her bed or was brushing her hair and hit a tangle, and she said, "Ow." My dad evidently, this was all before me, but my dad evidently swooped in and got mad at my mom and in the end said, you know, this isn't really your mom. And so my, my mom couldn't be a mom to Angie. So she felt very lonely in the relationship and, and snuck and uh, came off of her birth control and had me. Mm-hmm. And so from, from the beginning, it was more like my, Angie was my dad's. I was my mom's child. And my my mom's goal was to com- to compete, and I was going to turn out better than Angie, so she she pushed me really hard, and we were very close, um, but maybe 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 too close. I was really probably about her only friend. Mm. Um, so Angie only came to our house every other weekend, so she wasn't around a lot. Uh, whether she was when she wasn't around, it was just daily fighting, arguing every day. A lot just lots of loud arguments, Um, just no not healthy communication. Um, There were times where a parent would try to, would would leave. There was a a time where my mom was left with me. We went to some, uh, like a safe house, um, but my dad called and they would get back together. So a lot of leaving and coming back together. Mm -hmm. I remember laying in bed at nights and watching my bedroom door. And if someone came by, went by with a suitcase, I would go chase them down to try to stop them from leaving because no matter how bad it got, I I just didn't want my parents getting a divorce. So I grew up wanting to keep the peace and being a a people pleaser and trying to do everything um, with excellence and really more perfectionism than just excellence. I I wanted people to get along. I wanted harmony. And so um, I, I was trying to please everybody around me and, and, Try to have as much peace as possible. So basically, I, my mom um, she she told me a lot, uh, probably more than a mom should tell a child, and so it made me, you know, mad at my dad quite often. And as my, for my dad, I knew him mostly as just a provider and a disciplinarian.
1: So did your life change a lot, or did your relationship with your parents change a lot as you grew up? I know you strove for excellence in everything you did, so you you have been an overachiever entire, your entire life, but did that change when you grew older?
2: The I I'm, I'm still strive for excellence. I've learned through the Lord how to strive for excellence instead of perfectionism, but uh, definitely still something that is just rooted in me, and, and I have to work with the Lord to try to handle that correctly. As for my relationship with my parents, um, my, like I said, they, they would split up and get back together quite often. And when I went to college, my mom told me before I left that she planned to leave my dad. And she was waiting until I went to college mm-hmm. so that I didn't grow up in a split home. So, so at some point in time during my freshman year, she did leave my dad. And, and it, he, he was devastated. She, she packed her bags and it seemed very permanent. Um, he, he couldn't actually find her. He was trying to find her and, uh, and could not, could not find where she was living. So I went home and was, and it was just he and I in the house. And I think that was the first time. And I told him he was suicidal. He was calling people to make arrangements for what to do to take care of me. And, um, he, he, it was, it was very, it, he was making it very clear that this was his plan and he was done and that he was calling my aunt and uncle trying to set things up for me once I graduated from college. So mm. of that weekend, I, I talked with him and I said, I'm going to stay home this semester. I'm not going to go back to college. I'm going to stay home and be with you and help you through this. And I didn't realize how much that would mean to him. Evidently, loyal. we never really had a deep conversations growing up. And evidently, that loyalty meant so much to him. And he said, I never knew you, you were loyal to me, too. I just thought you were loyal to your mom. Hmm. And I, I didn't know that's where the heart of the issue of our distance was. I, w- I always wanted to be close to my dad. We just weren't. So when he saw that I loved and cared for him and was loyal to him, um, it just meant so much to him. And it did change our relationship. He did encourage me to go back to college. He did not commit suicide. And in the end, they actually did get back together.
0: I'm curious, Tracy, I'm hearing, first of all, I just want to say I'm I feel um, sad for you that your childhood was so tumultuous. I think that's the perfect word to describe what you must have experienced. And so first, I just want to probably echo what all of our listeners are thinking and feeling and just say thank you for sharing all of that. And um, we're sorry to hear that you had to experience those things. I'm curious when your parents got back together after, you know, that time of separation and that period that you stayed with your dad and kind of learned that that was important to him. How did you feel about them getting back together?
2: They never had a healthy relationship. And as bad as I wanted that for them, they never did. They were never able to put the past in the past, forgive and move forward and trust. So to the day they died, there was always unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, and a lack of healthy communication that did not ever change. And even though they both seemed to want it, they didn't know how to get it. And I wanted that for them. And I, I really, at the time, I just did not think, even though I didn't want them divorced as a child, um, I, I just wanted, I wanted them to have a healthy lives and really a healthy relationship with God, and that just seemed very difficult with the way their relationship was. I have to admit, once they were finally apart again, there was a time later that they were apart again, and that was the last time that they were separated and, and did not get back together after that. Once my mom was, was finally away from my dad, and it had been you know, some time um, she did start going to church on her own, And turned to God. And it was the first time in my life that I saw my mom have a genuine relationship with God rather than let's go to church because we live in the Bible belt. And so we go to church on Sundays and put on a happy face and make everybody think everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And it was so nice to see my, my mom get excited about going to church, excited about taking notes in her Bible, excited about getting a new Bible, mm-hmm. and, and talking with me about God, because before, if I brought up God, she would change the subject. So I did see some, some healthy things um, as a result of their separation, unfortunately, but that was never my goal. I really wanted them to have what they, what they both desired and have that healthy marriage that God wanted them to have.
1: Even though your mom had changed in her faith and your father had not, um, but they, and they were apart, there was a day that you received a phone call, one that I know you didn't expect, and I don't think anybody would. Can you tell us a little bit about that, I guess they call a fateful day that changed so many things in your life?
2: I was teaching at the time. I went to school on that day, just like any other day. This was uh, September 17th, 2009 and went to school and was in the classroom teaching and had no idea that my aunt was trying to call my cell phone. The coroner was calling the school, asking to speak to me. And fortunately, uh, by God's grace, what happened is I found out through my husband. That they were able to pull me out of the classroom and sit me down in a private room in the office. And my husband was the one that told me the the news rather than finding out a different way. Mm. So um, I knew I, I knew he was going to, to say something. I waited on him and knew there was some bad news, but had no idea what. So he said, um, it's your parents. And I said, which one? Mm. He said, both. And I said... What what's happened? And he, I, I guess I I don't know know exactly what I thought. I think I pictured a car accident for some reason. And mm-hmm. for him to say both, um, and not that I expected them to be in the car together, but I, just where where my mind went. And he said, um, and so I pictured them in the hospital. And he said um, they're they're dead. And I didn't. I just did not. I, it was hard to believe. It was hard to take that in, and I didn't want to believe him. And you know, he was here, and I thought surely he has something incorrect. He's got some wrong information, and so I went and borrowed the principal's phone and called my aunt, who's there in 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 Greenville, and um, and she confirmed of what my husband was saying. So then it was a process of, um, you know, the school, of course, took care of everything. I was able to leave from there and come home and pack. Um, I needed to be going to Greenville for an unknown amount of time. And so it was trying to stand there in my closet and figure out how to pack for two visitations, two funerals. um, And and who knows what else I would need to be doing while there. Um, Just tons of emotions and just knowing I, I needed to keep moving, I needed to act, I needed to get there. Um, but bef- before I left, I remember pausing for a moment, and for- fortunately, God God had brought me a long way in my relationship with him, and I had a journal sitting on my ba- bathroom counter, and before I left, I wrote just l- one line in it, um, and I, I said something like, God, Help me glorify you in this. Help, help me please you in, in, in the way I handle all this. Hmm. And we walked out the door and, and headed to Greenville and to um, some, uh, I guess, it's just a little bit of a chaotic time in, in dealing with, with all sorts of different things, um, actually, for the next year or so.
1: Now, for our audience, just so they know exactly what you were dealing with, Tracy, your your father took your mother's life, and then took his own, and did you find that, did you find specifics from the police, or how how did, I can't imagine gathering all the information, or truly even wanting to, of what happened.
2: So once I got to Greenville, I learned what had actually happened. Um, I also learned that it was not an act of sudden anger. It was very planned. My dad had Quit his job three months prior, and been planning. He had been watching my mom's um, every move and schedule, and knew what her routine was. He had written all sorts of letters to all sorts of different people. He laid out his grave clothes. Um, he, he he it was very it was very much planned.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, what he ended up doing is um, when he she came out the door to go to work that morning he was hiding behind a shed and um, came out from behind the shed and and shot her three times in uh, primarily in the the neck and head and then um, he called the police and reported it and then he drove across the street because he uh, and and shot himself he didn't want to live and so um, I I he want, he drove across the street to make sure they couldn't get there and revive him. So he um, wanted to make sure that they both that they both were gone. Um, and so that's that's where his mind was at. Uh, they were they, they were what happened that got him there was they were going through the divorce process, and my mom had cheated on my dad several times, and he made her sign a piece of paper one time saying that if he took her back, that she would leave uh, with nothing. If, if she cheated on him again, that he would, she would leave with nothing and she would be happy with nothing. And my dad thought she had cheated on him again after he had taken her back. She, she told me that she had not, but he thought he had, she had. So she, she, he had actually, that last time that she was gone, that I mentioned earlier, that last time that they were separated, she, he, it was not her leaving him. It was her, him locking her out of the house with nothing. And she was happy for a while and was content that, okay, that's the way it is. And I'm content to just, it just be me now. This was my, my planner. Eventually but it was a little earlier than she had planned. And then he started dating a a 25 year old, uh, someone who was younger than me and let her move into the house and into the house I grew up in. And my mom was livid and she said, no 25 year old is going to move into my house and get what I worked hard for. And she said, I'm filing for divorce and I'm filing and I'm trying to get half. And we knew that would really anger him and we didn't really know what he would do, but we knew it would make him very angry. And we didn't know if that would make him retaliate to my mom. And I asked her about that. And she said, I'm, I don't think he's going to do anything and I'm going to call his bluff. And she said, if he, if he does do something, then I know where I'm going. She said, I've made mm-hmm. peace with God and I know where I'm going. If I die. So he, he was not, he was not bluffing. He, um, any, any threats that he gave her evidently were not, were not just empty threats. He had everything planned out, and um, he actually even called me a few days before and said, Tracy, I'm sorry. And it was a few days before their final divorce hearing, and I said, for what, Dad? And he said, for the, for the divorce. And I said, Daddy, you've done everything that you could. Um, I I appreciate that, but you've you've tried, and you've tried to work things out, and um, it's okay. And he said, well, I'm just sorry. I didn't know what he was actually apologizing for.
0: I, I can only imagine that, you know, learning of all of this and probably processing back through you know, f- previous interactions and things that had happened. There must have been countless emotions that you experienced in the wake of all of this. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were feeling after their deaths?
2: I would say, growing up, I learned to stuff emotions. I'm sure. But when emotions are this strong, you can't stuff them. <laughs> I experienced such a, a range of emotions and had not really allowed myself to feel emotions like that before. Um, At at the time I I had disowned my dad. So he no longer was my dad. I wouldn't call him that. I didn't have, I didn't really have a name for him, uh, except maybe monster. I I didn't really have a good name for him after that. So I disowned him in my mind and I grieved my mom. So I went, I I grieved just her. And so I, I went through the grieving process of grieving her. And then just, he he was, he was out just, I just didn't even really process anything with him. I didn't want to see anything of his. Um, I didn't want to hear about him. I didn't want to hear his name. I I just didn't want anything to do with him at all. I did have um, my half sister um, that, that Angie, that I mentioned earlier, actually gave me a book at that time called How to Handle Adversity by Charles Stanley and that really helped me understand and be okay with all the emotions they were confusing to me because they would change in an instant
1: mm.
2: i would go from crying to mad and mad to you know laugh it, it was i was all over the place and I, mm. I didn't understand and so that that book really just helped me know that that's normal and it's okay
1: I can't imagine, Tracy, being at that place, being you at that time, because I would look at this man who was my father and be so angry and think, you have destroyed so much of my life, and now you've taken my mom from me. And I can't imagine even wanting to forgive him or to move on from it or to find a way through the emotions of the hurt that he created. How did you start that process and
2: why did you start that process? That is a great question. I had no intentions hmm. of forgiving my dad. I was going to go to my grave having disowned him and just not having a father except my heavenly father anymore. Um, I have a best friend named Elizabeth and Over the next year, maybe two or three times, she gently mentioned that I should forgive my dad. I assured her that I did not need to forgive my dad. Um, I I didn't understand why I needed to forgive my dad. And she pointed me to scripture about God saying to forgive people um, because he has forgiven us and All I knew is that God was taking me through a lot. And and I was turning to him. I spent time with him. He helped me. He comforted me. And I thought he and I were just fine. Mm -hmm. And so I thought my anger towards my dad was not hurting anyone. He wasn't alive for it to hurt our relationship. I kept it to myself. I wasn't hurting anybody with it. And God and I were just fine and he was helping me through all the aftermath of things that I needed to deal with, plus grieving my mom. So when she would mention it, it made me it made me angry <laughs> that she would bring it up, um, and it, it offended me that she would even suggest such a thing, um, because it almost made it seem like, you know, that what he did was okay, and that you know I needed to forgive him of that. Well, being a school teacher, you know, this happened in September. And um, that following summer, so not quite a year later, I was able to spend extra time with God since I was not working that summer and at home, and my short devotional times that I would usually spend with God before going to school were able to turn into longer times. Well, God started talking to me about forgiving my dad, and he just put the idea in my head a couple of times, and I just brushed it off. And I said, My answer to him was, I don't know what that looks like. He's dead. He's gone. I don't know how. I don't want to. I don't know why. (laughs) And so I threw everything, all of my excuses, all of my reasons, I threw everything I had at God. Well, one day that summer, that following summer, I was spending time with him and he said, I want you to forgive your dad. You need to forgive your dad. So I said, but he doesn't deserve it. Mm. He's not here to ask for it. He's not even asking for my forgiveness. Why should I forgive someone who's not even asking for it? Mm. it It's what he did is not excusable. It is not okay. And he does not deserve my forgiveness. What he did is is just inexcusable and... I don't know why or how you're, why or how you're asking me it, for, to do that. And I said, I don't know what it looks like either. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to go and, and forgive someone who isn't asking for it and is gone. So God very gently answered in my, in my heart and said, you're not going to forgive your dad because he deserves it. You're not going to forgive my dad because he's your dad because he's asked for it. And um, that's not the reasons you're going to forgive him. You're, you're going to forgive him out of your love for me, mm-hmm. out of your obedience to me. When he spoke that to me, all of a sudden, my want to changed. Mm-hmm. It seemed like before I was doing it for my dad. At that point, I realized forgiveness wasn't for my dad. It was for God. And it was for myself. Hmm. I was the one that was going to benefit from it. But I was obeying God. So when he changed the want to and the understanding of the why, I got on board. Hmm. And so when he spoke that to me, I said, okay. So what I realized in that moment was, is forgiveness is a choice. Mm -hmm. It's a decision. It's not a feeling. I didn't feel like forgiving him. I decided to do it because of what God showed me and out of my love and obedience for him. And when I said, okay, something in my heart changed, some walls broke down, and All of a sudden, I had a little bit of a want to. It was amazing. And over the next, I don't know, several days, several weeks, that want to increased. Um, I went from not being able to think of one good thing about my dad and not even knowing what to call him anymore to being able to say that he was my dad again and having a few fond memories and my heart towards him changed in that moment and over the next several days and years and it was just amazing for me to see how God's truth is true and how it works and how God created us he knows what's best for us and even if we think we have really good reasons to think otherwise he is the one that knows, and he knows what's best, and he understands that us forgiving people is what's best for us and our relationship with God. And he says there is—he doesn't say there's any excuses. He says, forgive everyone of everything. Um, and I'm really thankful that he—that that I spent some time with him. He showed me that, and i I was able to start moving forward and then going through the grieving process of my dad
0: at that point. As you were sharing when your friend was coming to you and bringing this idea of forgiveness and, you know, your initial response to it, I think we're all kind of listening and and nodding along like, yeah, it makes sense that you would not have found a reason, you know, a logical reason to want to pursue forgiveness, especially with him being gone as well. And so I'm curious, um, I'm thinking back to you kind of having that moment with God right after you learned of, of what had happened and asking God to give you a way to glorify him. Have you had opportunities since going through this to help someone else who maybe thought that they didn't need forgiveness or could not forgive someone in their own life circumstances. Talk to me about how you counsel someone now who certainly hasn't had the same scenario. I can't imagine anyone else walking through this specific type of journey, but what has it been like to walk with somebody who maybe is, um, you know, hard hearted toward considering forgiveness in their own lives?
2: I am so thankful for that platform that God has given me and that. I can talk to people about forgiveness. I've also learned it looks a little different when someone is gone versus when someone is still alive. Also, if they're still alive and currently in your life on a daily basis or, um, you know, a, a regular basis versus if it's something in the past and they're still alive. So there's different scenarios and God's given me the opportunity to, to forgive in different circumstances and um, show me that it looks maybe a little different in in all of those, but the concept is the same. Even if a grudge is little, a small grudge, Mm -hmm. it is still there. It is still something God wants us to let go of. So it doesn't matter if it's something that in the world's eyes is small or big. It hurts us, and God doesn't want it to And so he's, he's given me the the ability to speak into someone's life, whether they're just mad at some someone for something from 10 years ago, and they haven't really thought about it, but they never let it go. Or if someone is in their life and, you know, it is on a, on an ongoing basis, still bringing hurt and pain into their life. And I'm, I'm really glad to be there for people because it is such a deep issue and, um, something that, you know, we, we hold on to things thinking we have a right to hold on to things. You know, it's funny how if God gave us the choice to walk through things on the front side, I'm sure many of us would say, no, thank you. I don't want to go through that. And, and so I, I would tell God, if he, if he gave me the choice beforehand, would you like to go through this? I, I would say, no, no, thank you. I'm sure I can learn some of these things another way, but I don't want to go through that. However, on the other side of it, Um, even though I wouldn't have the maturity to say, yes, I'd like to walk through that. On the other side of it, I can honestly say that I wouldn't want my relationship with God to be anything other than what it is. He has brought me through things and carried me through things and taught me so much. And my relationship with him is so sweet and intimate and personal and deep. Um, And I, I I know him in a way that I wouldn't know him otherwise. Um, But he, he brings, you know, purpose through pain. And so I'm so thankful that he brought me through that. And now that I'm able to speak into other people's lives and help them, if they're dealing with that as well, with unforgiveness.
1: Tracy, before we let you go, I want to ask one more question. And I hear this a lot and feel it a lot. What is the difference between forgiveness and to forget? You cannot forget what happened, and yet you have to forgive. How, how do you balance those two?
2: I don't know that I have a, a perfect explanation for that. I would say in, for, that, for that instance, that decision to forgive was a decision. It was a one-moment decision, and then the feelings started to change. Now, can I say that I forgot? No, I will never forget Um, The hurt and the sadness of what happened will always be there. So forgiveness doesn't mean it stops hurting, and it doesn't mean that it's okay what happened, and it doesn't make it right all of a sudden. It means that you take that person off of your hook and put them on God's hook. So it doesn't doesn't mean that the hurt is gone, I, I suppose, is the best way to say that. So after, after God took me through a lot of forgiveness, I realized that even though I had completely, I had forgiven him for what he had done and I did, did not hold him, um, you know, on my hook anymore, um, that there was still a lot of deep hurts. And so it has taken a lot of some years to really get past some of those hurts, um, so that I am in a different place. And so time has really helped, and God has continued to heal uh, deep those deep wounds that have been in me. I would like to share a, a book that I read after the fact that really confirmed what God showed me and then also taught me even more about forgiveness. It's is called Forgiveness. It's this little tiny book by a lady named June Hunt. She's a biblical counselor, and she's written all sorts of little books. So There's a, a, one topic uh, like loneliness, um, self-worth, and then this book really helped me wrap my brain around what God brought me through, and maybe put some words to some of the things that He taught me as well. I don't know that we have the ability to forget, um, but for example, you know, when I when I think about um, things and how you know I'm, I'm, I miss. Uh, my par- my parents never got to meet our son, um, mm-hmm. on on this side, and so I, you know, I think about things like that. It, there's a there's sadness and there is hurt and pain, but I don't have any hard heartedness mm-hmm. towards my dad anymore, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just very very thankful that that God has shown me the importance of forgiveness, and again that there there's nothing anybody can do that that it's okay for us to hold on to that grudge. In that bitterness, because it just hurts ourselves and hurts our relationship with God.
0: As we've been listening to your story, there's probably someone or maybe a few someones in our mind that we're kind of processing through if we've had this level of forgiveness in our own lives, or maybe I'm just speaking for myself. And so (laughs) (laughs) I really, really want to thank you for your vulnerability. And then just your, um, the, the practical, you know, concepts you've shared that it's not going to be easy to pursue forgiveness, but that ultimately it is for our own good. And especially for those of us who share, a, you know, a faith in God, that doing this for Him and through Him because of Him is something that will strengthen our relationship with God and with others. So I thank you for being willing to go first and sharing that and also for giving us that resource. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes.
1: I will put a link in our show notes for how to directly financially support Tracy and her husband in their ministry, because what she's sharing with us, she's sharing with all of the athletes that she works with and sharing not only forgiveness, but the joy of serving the God who's forgiven us in a way that we can't even fathom. So Tracy, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your willingness to come and
2: have this conversation. Thank you, Darlene and Julie. Thank you for your ministry, your time, and and your love for women. Darlene, I know
0: that you and I have talked about Tracy's story in the years that we've known each other, um, just because she was your friend and it had come up in conversations. And so, I'm grateful that we got to hear from her today. And like I shared in the episode, I'm grateful for just the way the Lord is already using that in my own life to think through some things that I'm walking through completely on a different scale. And I hope that our listeners are having that same type of experience. And so I hope you will go to the show notes and look for some of those resources we will link to. Um, But I also just want to encourage you that as important as forgiveness is, I also want to remind you to give yourself some grace. Oh, yes. As you pursue the grit that it will take to move forward with this in your life. But we hope that this gives you um, the encouragement you might need to make steps toward doing that.
1: So I'm going to throw in this Bible verse that's actually part of the Lord's Prayer in Mm -hmm. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Mm -hmm. Not an easy thing to do, no matter how you've been hurt or what's going on in your life. It's not easy, but God expects us to at least try and he'll help us get there. So thank you for joining us this week. And I so appreciate Tracy being willing to share what she did. We'll catch you next time on This Grit and Grace Life.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.